For those who are just joining us on the podcast, uh, I just hit the record button, so I apologize. Record now underway. A lot of what I talked about at the beginning, we'll talk about at the end again as well. But again, the top 25, certainly interesting. I don't think we saw as, as much turnover in the top 25 as we normally do on the men's side. I, I don't have a really good reason for that, except for most likely, like I said um, earlier, and, and those of you on the podcast, I apologize for missing this, uh, the fact that uh, I think the, the bottom and the middle absorbed a lot of the losses at the top and the middle. We lost Swarthmore, and Swarthmore had a horrible week, and we lost Illinois Wesleyan out of the top 25 on the men's side, and we reduced our number of teams being voted probably in half. Guilford's sitting number 26. They're a team I'm I'm certainly high on. Illinois Wesleyan is, is in the 27th spot. Lycoming's Cummings in there. They're certainly having an interesting season. Swarthmore then fell to that spot. Harden-Simmons, team I'm watching out of the AFC. Endicott, as we mentioned, of course, lost. Hope's in there. Uh, I'm, I'm voting for Hope, and I'm surprised more people aren't. Um, Bethel, as we mentioned, though, they're, they may lose all of their votes, sadly, after their two losses and three of the last five. MIT, we'll see what happens. Hanover, Brockport, Catholic, and Carthage. I actually saw Catholic last night, and not to be too critical, but it wasn't anything to write home about. Granted, playing my alma mater, Goucher. Goucher did beat Scranton, but they weren't the same team against uh, Catholic. Catholic's a good team, not stellar, not top 25 as we have got, you know been accustomed to. They're good. They've got some youth that are going to probably make that squad pretty dangerous in the next couple of years. But this year, kind of more ho hum. I think the landmark is, is a is a as a whole. The top is down a little bit. Is a little bit more ho hum. Moravian beat Scranton. Scranton's now lost two in a row in the landmark on the men's side, which is surprising. Um, well, so we'll see how this all plays out. But you know, I did see Catholic. They're okay. Um, again, nothing that blows me away about them. Uh, they are young, but they do have some good shooters, and they got some decent inside presence. We'll see how it all plays out. Going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to, uh, speaking of the Mid-Atlantic, women's basketball and talk Messiah Falcons women's basketball. Mike Miller will join us, talk about his squad, and just how good are they with just one loss. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. We'll be back with more Hoops after this. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. 
nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you are enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, remember, you can email us and join us in the Hoopsville mailbag at hoopsville at d3hoops.com. That's your email address, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Don't forget also to tweet us at d3hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville or join us on Facebook where we are streaming the show live as well. Facebook Live. Um, it is hoopsville at d3hoops.com. I'm sorry, that's the email address. It's facebook.com slash hoopsville. So talking women's basketball now and, and jumping into a, a region who, which we kind of alluded to last week is just a little bit jam-packed. We talked to Catholics women's basketball coach Matt Donahoe, Donahue about the fact that there's three or four teams in the, in the uh, Capital Athletic Conference, three or four teams in the Landmark Conference, three teams in the MAC Commonwealth team Conference. Centennial might only have one, maybe two, worth talking about, but it makes for a lot of good women's teams, which is going to make the end of the season certainly fascinating. One of the reasons for that is Messiah has has kind of returned to the fray, as it were. This is a team that had kind of fell back a little bit, but certainly kind of rejuvenated themselves uh, as well. And so you got to wonder how what's causing the Falcons to fly so high. Well, the easiest way to find out is go to the City of Salem Hoopsville Skype hotline. And joining us there is Coach Mike Miller from the 25th ranked Falcons. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville and thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me again, Dave. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time. First and foremost, again, I say, um, you guys, you know, I wouldn't say certainly that you, you, you were having bad seasons, but you guys had kind of stepped back from the Albright-Stevenson fight, as it were, for a while. You're back in the fray. It's three teams deep, and you guys have only taken one loss so far. You're looking pretty darn good. Yeah, I'm really, really, really pleased where we're at. Um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a, the group I have. It's just a pleasure to work with. Um, and I had you, uh, you had me on last year in December, and I said, you know, watch us in January. Um, yeah. And and our young kids just keep keep playing better. So and keep they they just enjoy the process and enjoy the journey. That's exactly what you said last year. I vividly remember bringing you on and you said, watch for us in the second half of the season. And I kid you not, I'm watching going, you got to be kidding me. They're coming back. They, you guys made a bit of a decent run there um, on the conference a little bit at the end. Uh, obviously, didn't make a deep run in the NCAA tournament or anything along those lines. But you did live up to the expectation, and clearly you're now rolling into this season in the same manner. Right, yeah, and, and last year definitely was a foundation. Uh, we knew we knew what we had, uh, just a, a bunch of young players that really want to, to get better and want to uh, bring Messiah back to, to prominence, if you will. They came to Messiah for that reason, and, and they've worked really hard in the offseason. And, and to, to do it with players, you know, no transfers, just players inside the program that just keep getting better and want to be better. 
uh, just a, it's a great way to do it. So why were you so com- remind everybody why you were so confident a year ago, first semester, that this team would kind of almost wake up in the second semester, make this run and be this good this year. Okay. Yeah. You had me on, right? Uh, we were sitting four and four and just had a tough loss to Marymount. Um, and um, that night uh, we had uh, two junior captains just kind of after the game, just kind of um, really just kind of took over the basketball piece and wanted to change the culture. Uh, and they kind of led the way. And we were playing at that point, a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. Um, and they just kind of, we just kind of grew. And, and since that night, we've, we've been 31 and five with some big wins over the, over that stretch with Albright and Stevenson's and River Falls and um, Marymount. No. So we, we've done well, but it's really because this, the players just really bought in. We had, we had some talent. Uh, we stayed healthy um, as well. So that all obviously helps, but uh, just the, the, just the kids just uh, once we lost to Albright last year in our league championship game, they've just, uh, they continued to commit themselves to, to wanting to be the best that they can be as a team. Obviously, getting to Albright in the conference championship game, losing to them 69 58 is how the season ended, yeah. but it included a win over Stevenson in the semifinals 73 66. Except for basically a three game losing mark in five games right in the heart of that January February, the team was on fire. Right. Uh, and as we mentioned, you've continued it on. You beat Hopkins to start the season by 20, you beat Dickinson by 30, um, you beat Washington and Lee rather handily. Alvernia, you beat rather handily. You then went to Puerto Rico. I really feel horrible for you. Uh, <laughs> and certainly got work done there. Then you came home, and this is when things got a little bit more difficult. Um, you played Dickinson a second time, and it was pretty much the same result. Stevenson, then, you had to survive at home, a last-second shot. Albright then trips you up, and then Val takes you to overtime. Is there a little bit of maybe... The, is this a are we seeing basically the team maybe a little bit tired or are we seeing the opponents going okay we figured you out a little bit yeah i think uh you know part of it uh first of all you know no excuse everybody's tired and everybody's dinged up so yeah. that's that's never an excuse um <laughs> I, I just think people um for for one we we we, we kind of lost our way defensively in the past week or two we everything everything that we did in our program this year except for a couple out of bounds plays was brand new uh like everything um and then I, th- I think we, including how we played our man defense, and we kind of lost our way, uh, had some slippage, and we just we just started giving up a lot of easy stuff uh, here lately. And then uh, you know being ranked and being undefeated, we're everybody's big game again, and uh, and uh, we're still a little bit young. And I, st- I think understanding in league play, really understanding that the other teams you know doing five different things to try to slow you down and stop you, and you just kind of keep have to stay the process and keep keep fighting through the finish. So we're learning how to do that now. Um, and, uh, you know, we had Stevenson in, in control of them and they made a run on us. And, um, so, you know, we, we finished that off at the end. So great game with Albright, two great teams going at it. So, but we don't like giving up 85 points. Yeah, uh, no, that's, that's not your <laughs> prototypical, uh, way of doing things. That is right. for sure. And that's, yeah. And we gave up 72 again last night to LVC. So, you know, we worked on some things tonight and, uh, there's really a kind of great buy-in. We're switching some things up, but, uh, yeah, we want to win with our defense. Um, and that, that, that's kind of been slipping here lately. So that's really the number one reason I think, um, you know, people are kind of catching up to us and, well, we just, we'd have to get back to our, to the process, so to speak. Talking to Mike Miller, head coach of Messiah, the women's basketball team, not too shabby at 16 and one sitting number 25 in the D three hoops.com top 25 coach. When I look at, um, some other things. First off, you've got 
you know, an interesting race in this conference. I alluded to it that the Mid-Atlantic is jammed this year with good teams. And I would say that the Mac Commonwealth's at least three deep, yourselves, Albright, and Stevenson. And you could argue maybe four deep as, as, as there's others who are lurking, uh, the Lycomings and the Lebanon Valleys of the world. Lycomings 10 and 6 and 4 and 4 in conference. Lebanon Valley maybe 7 and 10, but they're 4 and 4. They're making it interesting. Right. What's going to have to happen to get through this conference and at least stay at the top when you still have a return trip with Stevenson on the road at their place? You've got a return trip against Albright. It's going to be at their place, plus everybody else you're going to have to play. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, uh, we have a big one next week at Lycoming. So yeah. all three of those on the road. And and I, I just uh, like I said, I think it really has to get back to a to a, um, a a swagger with our defense to go into games knowing that we, we, we have the ability to shut down people. We're going to find ways to score. We're very deep. We play a lot of people. Somebody each night figures out a way to put the ball in the basket. Um, but we, we have to just get a little bit more swagger with our defense and just kind of trust trust what we're trying to do there. Um, and I think Lebb Valley, uh, last night was the first time they had their group together all year. Um, they've had injuries throughout the year, and uh, they're going to be really solid. Um, and then Stevenson had their second-best player miss five games uh, right during a tough stretch. So, I mean, you're right. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting in the, in the, in the league. Um, uh, you're, you've been coaching for 31 years, Coach. Uh, this is your 31st season. Uh, does it get old, or, or does, it, does it ever feel old, or does it always feel new? Okay, great, great question. Uh, there has been uh, like peaks and valleys, if you will, from that standpoint. <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, it felt old. Um, like, do I really want to do this? And uh, the kids seemed to change, and you know, and I wasn't ready for that. Sure. Um, and uh, but what what fat we and this is part of our success now. We really have a roster full that I would say are um, are exceptions to the rule. Uh, non non millennials, like they understand the value of work and they need to work and everything. If they want whatever they want to get and they need to invest. So it's really rejuvenated me. You know, there's there's really these wonderful people out there and, and their families that uh, that they just want it all. And basketball is just uh, you know part of that. But these kids are doing great in the classroom and in relationships and spiritually. And uh, we happen to have a roster that uh, just and we have a bunch of young players, freshmen, sophomores. So I'm rejuvenated and will be rejuvenated for definitely for a few more years because the kids just I can't wait to get in the gym every day. And it's because of the players we get to coach. Some certain things, I, I assume, also help you. Uh, I mean, obviously, with a very successful soccer programs, uh, I'm assuming the Messiah name can get out there a little bit. Uh, at the same time, your lacrosse programs and even field hockey and some other programs are starting to come along to do the same thing. It seems like basketball's coming along. Volleyball has certainly improved. Um, it almost feels like, in some way, all the programs are kind of helping each other improve, and maybe that's helping recruiting. And obviously, you have a niche being a, a religious type school like Hope, like Calvin, like the Wheatons of the world, does it all just kind of combine to a perfect storm that the recruits you're looking for, the ones that actually do want to come to Messiah? Yeah, there, there is no doubt that we, I mean, I, I always look at these kind of things. What Everybody has an advantage, a disadvantage, and you can't say poor as us, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and, and, and our advantage, uh, our advantage is, is we, we have a specific niche um, and th that pull isn't very big, but then the ones we get really tend to be quality people. Yeah. They want things bigger than themselves. They're really great about being you know, involved in team sports. Um, we don't have a whole lot of the problems I think a lot of schools have or inside their rosters. Um, so, so there is definitely you know, that aspect. And, and when everybody does well, there's, 
your name just gets out. It might be a sister of a soccer player, you know, whatever it is. Um, so there's no doubt about it that each program uh, props up the next. Let's talk about this team. you got three seniors on it. Uh, you kind of hinted last year it was the three juniors that kind of took the reins of the program. It is those three seniors this year who continue the way, though only one of them is leading the leading in the, the stat category. Now, that's Jillian Glacken, uh, certainly a very good player. Uh, 12.9 points a game, 8.2 rebounds a game, hands out and assists a game. And, you know, about a eh, block and a half a game, too. Not too shabby. Uh, almost two blocks a game, really. Um, obviously, she's the linchpin on, on the floor, clearly. But I know there's more players involved. Tell right. us a little bit about her game, but how everybody else kind of plays off of her. Sure, I'd love to. Yeah, uh, Gilliam's a, a special a special person um, and, and talent. Uh, one of the things that, she, first of all, she'll do anything that we ask her to do. She's 6'2", and um, we have a 6'2 sophomore, Alicia Rohr, and for us to play them together, especially at the uh, you know, to level Division three, like Gillian has had to guard point guards and two guards and the best three spot and things like that. Um, and she has that kind of versatility that, and has grown into that. She's not just a center. Um, so that's one piece. So she can guard, say, we're about defense, and she can guard anybody. So that allows us to use our depth more and play more people um, uh, and, and, and just get people more involved because we're not just trying to play forwards or centers or things like that. Um, and in addition to that, um, many of our players uh, on other rosters, we're playing 10 players a night. They were double digits and minutes. And like so like Gillian has really good numbers, but she's, only, you know, she's choosing to, even in her senior year, um, that on other teams, she'd be playing 30, 35 minutes a night, and she's doing 23, 24 for us um, because she knows what, it, what it's going to take to, to get to the NCAAs to win a conference championship, and our whole roster needs to be involved. Mm-hmm. And like, just her leadership in, in that aspect, too. Like, she's the biggest, everybody's biggest fan when she's on the bench. And um, again, that, that whole wanting something bigger than yourself, that Gillian really represents that well. Well, and you mentioned, you know, Gillian being inside at 6'2", and Rohr, who's third on the team at 11 points a game, 6.5 rebounds at 6'2". In between them is Macy Thornton, a sophomore, 12.5 points a game, uh, 3.1 assists a game. You know, that trio right there, you've got a, a guard who can shoot, who can also pass. You've got two inside. You can call it a two-headed monster. You can call it twin towers, whatever you want to call. You also have Caitlin Hoff, by the way, at 10 points a game, and 8.5 from Jen Fairbanks. You've got a lot of weapons, and when you've got two inside on the blocks... That makes it really hard for defenses who probably have, what, one tall, significant player? They're going to have to put someone small in the other one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's uh, and we're still – and this is the first time in my 31 years we've had two legitimate post players. So we're still working working on that to get better, <laughs> better spacing and how to utilize them. So we're Hurry not, up. Like, Gillian yeah. leaves this year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I hear you. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, it's been it's been it's been interesting. We have a couple of different offenses, different sets, things like that, to make sure we get people certain touches, depending on how the game's going. But uh, but the fact that we have a lot of people uh, that can score twenty on a given night, um, you know, it's it's and that's what happened early. People just started to get started the year. Just we're just doubling. We got to just stop the inside game and. Uh, and for some one level, we, one point, maybe after seven or eight, ten games, we were leading the nation in three-point shooting percentage, you know, because everybody was just standing wide open. Um, and <laughs> teams have teams have adjusted to that. Um, so it's now, you know, it's a little bit harder. You have to read more, and that's what that's what the kids are kind of figuring out. Really, to be, be calm enough to see where the doubles are coming, or you know, the hedges and things like that. And they're starting to really get it. 
Um, I look through the stat lines and some things that jump out. You're shooting 45% from the floor, 36% from beyond the arc, and nearly 80% from the free throw line. There would be coaches who'd kill for that third number. Uh, you're out-rebounding your opponents by five a game. Um, and then you're outscoring your opponents. You're scoring nearly 77 points a game, and you're holding opponents to 54. So while you said recently the defense has struggled, is there any other flaw? Is there anything that you guys don't do well that the numbers don't really indicate? Um, yeah, uh, and I would just throw in there our turnover margin. like Our rebounding is actually because of our turnover budget. We're yeah. even a plus seven there, so we don't get an opportunity to rebound uh, as much. Um, <laughs> so, um, no, I, honestly, we need to – the biggest thing we're working on right now, besides some defensive rotations and things like that and spacing, uh, we need to – we don't talk well. We like we have we have we don't really talk and communicate on the court as well as we need to on both ends and transition D and we're really working on that. That would be the one that we have a lot of players who just work hard and are very quiet. Um, they're they're do anything. They and they're being in a weight room or take a thousand shots or do whatever. But to get them to talk, uh, it's just kind of just kind of laugh at them at times. So, <laughs> um, but but that communication piece. But they're really in the past week they've really worked on that. Even just last night in the second half. Because um, the two people that we had, um, Gillian Glackett and Kate Hoff, are the, the two that talk the most and just lead and just direct. They both got in early foul trouble and didn't play in the first half. Um, and we had a hard time in the first half. And the second half, you know, after I challenged them, everybody started talking, communicating. We played better. So even that's, you know, it's all work in progress. That's where it gets fun, just to be quite honest with you, to pick out things and try to keep getting better and not worry about the wins and, and where that next game is. Um, friend, uh, friend of the program for you ha- emailed me a question, and, wow. and it's a good one in the sense that you know you guys have some changes ahead of you. Um, the new athletic facility will be coming along, which means you're going to have to shift gyms just a little bit. But you got to be excited that you're getting some. Uh, you're getting a new gym. You're going to be getting a new look. Um, you're, you know, this is the exciting times, especially when you can get something maybe state of the art. How, how excited are you? Yeah, we're we're really excited. Um, we mean, I mean, men's basketball coach and I. Uh, you know, for part of it is uh, we don't have a great uh, practice situation, so we're going to get a new gym. But we're also getting like they're redoing a gym, but we're at, they're adding two more courts to practice as well. Yeah. Like our, you know, you practice. You only play thirteen home games, but you practice seventy five times. Right. Uh, but that practice, uh, that classroom setting, and for practice, uh, we're so thrilled about that. And we we're get, we're getting our own state of the art team room that we'll have all year round. Uh, and obviously we're going to get a new gym with a drop down scoreboard and a high def big screen thing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really nice. Uh, and then, but the, it all started with, we're getting a brand new wellness center is how all this started. Yeah. So we don't really have a wellness center. So that's going to be great for recruiting and for the college in general too. But yeah, we're excited about it. Um, looking forward to it for sure. You're at win 583 for your career. Simple math would say that, unless I'm completely off, win 600 would have to come next year anyway. Uh, so I suspect you'll stick around for that if you can, and I suspect you'll stick around for the new gym if you can. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah. If So any, any recruits out there listening, yeah, I'm not <laughs> going anywhere. <laughs> no, I, I've, it, used, it goes back to that question. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. I've been, this group the last couple of years says I've really been rejuvenated. I love what I'm doing, um, and I love working with these kids and their families. Uh, it's, it's just really a pleasure and a joy. I wish, I wish everybody would get to do what I get to do. Just really enjoy. And the people I get to work with, you know, I get to pick who I get to work with, you know, not everybody gets to do that. So, and these players are great. 
Well, you're a far cry from that 13 and 13 season. It seems like you're <laughs> right back on track for what we are accustomed to from Messiah. Uh, obviously, a great season despite the one loss to Albright. Lie coming, as you mentioned, coming up. Uh, good luck the rest of the season, Coach. I really appreciate you taking time out of your evening to join us. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? I uh, just uh, heard a little bit about the fundraising. If you if you have a couple extra bucks, send it their way. Uh, they do great work, and it's it's from the heart. They're following their passion, so let's, let's support these guys. Well, thank you, Coach. I appreciate it. Uh, good luck the rest of the way, and uh, I look forward to maybe even getting up there for a game. I'd love to have you. Let me know if you're coming. I will indeed, sir. Right. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye. Mike Miller joining us here on the City of Salem Skype hotline. We appreciate him taking the time. Again, light coming, coming up on the road. Then they're uh, at home against Arcadia, then on the road against Stevenson, Alvernia, and Widener, then home against Leval, home against Wood, and closing out on the road against Albright. There is a lot of basketball ahead and some big games for Messiah and big games for the MAC Commonwealth on the women's side. It is going to be a great race in the Mid-Atlantic region. I cannot stress that enough. The landmarks going to be fun to watch. The CAC, which we saw Christopher Newport versus Mary Washington last night, that is going to be fun to watch, and it's going to be fun to watch the um, the Landmark Conference, the MAC Commonwealth, as I mentioned, the CAC. Centennial might be the only one that's not going to be thrilling, but Haverford and Muhlenberg will be battling it out at the top of that conference as well. It is going to be fascinating when it comes to selection time. Who gets left out? Because I can't imagine they all can get in. Uh, some good teams out of this region are going to be left home on the women's side. We'll see who... That ends up being thanks to Coach Miller yet again, Coach Mike Miller. We'll have Coach John Miller coming up in a couple of segments from um, from Hanover. But in the meantime, thanks to Mike Miller at Messiah. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll switch into some men's basketball. We'll head up to Canton, New York, and talk St. Lawrence men's basketball. Then we'll head to Ohio to talk Hanover men's basketball. And then we'll head out to um, Minnesota and talk Bethel men's basketball that's all still ahead plus the hoopsville mailbag if you got a question for us email us hoopsville at d3hoops.com we'll talk more about the fundraiser as well and the ncaa convention that's all coming up here on the show you're listening to hoopsville presented by d3hoops.com from the wbca nabc studios more hoopsville right after this i used to never really talk ever I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Cheer for the stumbles. The he should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There you will find the provoked. 
the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. We are calling you, all of you. We are calling all Division III schools to join our cause. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division III. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. Three, two, one. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you uh, enjoyed our Thursday night show. Don't forget, in two weeks, yeah, believe it or not, it is two weeks away. We will be on air for 12-plus hours. It's the Hoopsville Marathon Show. Get your tickets today. Well, not really. Just make sure you tune in. It will be part of our fundraising efforts, which we hope to launch here momentarily as well this week. Um, and plenty more. Obviously, it's also our way of getting everybody ready for the final month of the regular season uh, and ahead of regional rankings and all that stuff. So heads, heads up, the Hoopsville Marathon is two weeks away from tonight. We'll talk more about it at the end of the show as well. If you got questions for us, don't forget the Hoopsville Mailbag segment's coming up as well. If we have questions, we'll answer them. But you got to email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. you got to Send them to us. Of course, that's also for those who may not be listening to the show live. If that is the case, send them to us so we can answer them down the road as well and get you your answers on a later show. Of course, you can also tweet us at D3Hoopsville or use the hashtag Hoopsville. You can also join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville, and, of course, Instagram at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville as well. going to switch into some men's basketball at this time. Talk about, and we're going to go up into the East region. And there's a, several teams in the East region, especially on the men's side, that we've considered trying to talk to. But for whatever varying reasons, we've talked to somebody else or talked to a women's team or whatever. So our list on the men's side continues to get longer. Well, it's going to keep waiting because another team that jumped out at me in the last two weeks is St. Lawrence. If you haven't noticed, they are 12-2 on the season and 5-0 in Liberty play. This is a conference that Skidmore has certainly gotten the most attention from the last few years. They might be, they might be outshadowed by the Saints this season. The 12 wins nearly equals the total from the last two seasons. The last time they had more than 14 wins in a season, you got to go back to 2010. And maybe this is the year we're going to see it again. Saints are having a tremendous year, but what's... What's it all mean, and how's it all happened? Well, that's why we've got this show. We go to the Hoopsville Hotline, presented by the City of Salem. And joining us there is Chris Downs, head coach for St. Lawrence Men's Basketball. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Uh, good morning, Dave. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Appreciate you taking the time. 12-2. and two. This is one heck of a start. Your only losses are to Amherst and Brockport. you got a couple overtime games in there as well. Um, you've had a couple high-scoring affairs to add to the excitement, honestly, this is the type of season you thought you guys would start out at. You know, to be honest with you, Dave, it's not—it's not really. Uh, I mean, maybe not twelve and two, but uh, we thought we really were poised to have a pretty good year. You know, we finished last year uh, in the—you know—in the conference uh, championship game yep. and and lost by a couple of points on the road and and really had a chance to win that game. Um, you know, with the last second three and. Uh, and just weren't ready at that time to take the shot, but but we've got a few. Uh, we got a real senior-oriented backcourt guys that have had the ball in their hands since they were freshmen, 
and uh, have done a really nice job taking care of it. And, and we've got improved play out of, uh, you know, a, a junior in Riley Naclario and uh, a sophomore big kid in, uh, in Ben Crawford. So, no, we're feeling, uh, we're feeling like we're about where we should be. And the conference championship game obviously isn't the way you want it to end. It also, you lost five of your last eight. Of course, two of your last three were to Skidmore, that team we talked about being so good. So it's an interesting finish going into the year, but you certainly were strong ahead of that. You actually had a really good middle of the season to finish at 14 and 12. When you look at what you've done to start, and granted the Amherst game, 90 to 68, is going to stick out a little bit like a sore thumb. Um, but the Brockport loss obviously was tight, but you've also beaten some good teams. You've beaten Oswego State, who many thought were going to have a really good season this year. Um, you, you've got wins over Ithaca. You've got uh, Johnson and Wales, who obviously is a little bit different than they were last year, and some other squads on this, on this, on this schedule that you've beaten, and some you've beaten pretty dominantly. You, you guys are just kind of quietly lurking in this East region right now. Well, I... And I, I appreciate that, and, and I do think we are, are quietly just going about our business. Um, I do think our guys are playing with a little chip on their shoulder. We don't, uh, you know, not many people talk about us at, at 12 and 2, and um, so I do think they come to practice every day. They, they also recognize that, you know, it's been a few years since we've been, um, in a, you know, in, in 2010 we were in the Sweet 16, but yep. it's been a few years, and so now we're, you know we're we we have to be the hunted or the hunter and uh, and Skidmore is the hunted and we know every night that you know that we've got to go out and and give people our best game and so they're they're excited to do that they're taking nothing for granted um, and they recognize that uh, you know last year we had a few slip ups we lost to some teams that were not particularly good teams and it cost us a chance to host a game at home and and they're determined not to let that happen. You've got, uh, obviously, senior leadership in four players who are seniors on this squad, um, which obviously can help. Uh, leadership uh, is, is certainly important, but it's a junior leading the way scoring-wise at nearly 20 points a game, 19.1 points a game, seven rebounds a game from Ni- uh, Riley. Is it Nasalero? Naclario. Naclario. I wasn't even close. <laughs> uh, sorry, Riley. Riley Naclario, again, 19 points a game, and he's a junior for you. Uh, Kyle Edwards, 15.2 a game, and, 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 and Wiley uh, Zachary at 13, point, uh, 13 points a game. Um, those are the other two guys in double figures. Obviously, Zachary is a, is a senior as well. And I believe, yeah, I, Edwards is a senior. So you've got a kind of a little bit of a mix here. You've got senior leadership, obviously two of them in your, in your double-figure category, but then you've got a junior as well who's, who's kind of taking a, a brunt of the load, as it were. Yeah, I mean Riley really has developed. We, it came after the end of the season last year. He he's a guy who had a chance to make a big play, um, you know, in the conference final against Skidmore, and we talked about it after the game was over that he wasn't ready to take that shot. Um, he wasn't mature enough. He wasn't you know poised enough, and he needed to have an off season where he really worked to improve his game. He had a somewhat spotty. Um, spring I think he you know he wasn't around I didn't see him around the gym much I didn't you know he's out golfing a lot and Mm. and so we sat down and we talked about hey what exactly are your goals what exactly do you want to do and he you know basically said that he was 
you know, wanted to be this. And so we talked to him about the things he needed to do. He stayed up here last summer. He worked um, in our admissions office as an admissions ambassador, which is a fabulous internship for him. And, uh, and he worked on his game. Mm. And, and so he's done that. And he's come back. He was, you know, he's 15 to 20 pounds bigger. He's stronger. Um, he he de- decided he wasn't going to just shoot jump shots, that he was going to round out his game by being a more interior-oriented, interior, um, inside-outside guy. And he's the, he's part of the reason that, you know, we've taken a, a little bit of a step here is that he's he's come along nicely. And, and again, then two other guys who are nearly in double figures at nine plus points a game, if, if that makes any sense. One's a senior and one's a sophomore. So obviously there's a little bit of that senior leadership, but to hear that story of Riley stepping up in on occasion, it, it, it almost seems like that's part of what this team has done. Again, guys have been hovering or just over 500 the last few years. It's been a while since we've seen an even 16-game um, winning season from this program. And what, what was the moment that the, the light switch went on, as it were? I think it started. To be honest with you, I think it started in. Um, it started when these kids arrived. You know, I think the culture at St. Lawrence got away from me a little bit as the coach when, you know, four or five years ago, uh, we, I had you know I had some kids at home and was spending more time at home than I was, you know, recruiting and, and working on working on our team, and you know the culture was bad. The guys that were here were not as driven and dedicated. Um, you know, and then we got this freshman or this group of uh, seniors now, and they bought in, and we decided we were going to give them the ball, and we were going to live with mistakes, and we decided, you know, we were going to give them minutes. All those guys are going to play in 100-plus games before they're done, and we just decided, you know, we're going to live with it. So so for the next few years, we kind of took our lumps and, and grew and got better, and they changed the culture. It's It's much better now. It's a it's actually at a very high level here right now, so that's been great to see. The underclassmen we have here are great, and uh, and they're going to be able to keep us at a pretty good level, I think, beyond just this season. But I think this year some big wins were, you know, to be able to to beat Plattsburgh, um, you know, who mm-hmm. we always think is a very good team, and and you know, be able to beat Ithaca and do both of those pretty soundly. Um, I think that kind of sparked this group to think, hey, maybe we got a little something here. Um, we were overwhelmed at Amherst. We didn't play our best basketball at Amherst. But after the game, Coach Hickson, who is a wonderful guy, said, you know, you got a nice team, Chris. And they didn't play their best tonight, and we played pretty well. But you got a nice team, and you're going to have a good year. And that, that, I thought, was really nice of him to say because he didn't have to. They had put it to us pretty good that night. Well, that's an interesting statement. I was going to say, how do you then not have that demoralize you? And this is not a shot at, at SUNY Canton, who we know is also a program in development. They obviously were your next opponent um, and maybe the perfect opponent for you, but that was a nip-and-tuck game, 95-81. Canton is certainly improving. How would you keep a, 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 a thoroughly-handed game um, that you were on the receiving end on keep this from derailing things immediately? Because I've seen that happen a lot. Yeah, I think that's the senior. I think that's the senior leadership. I think they, you know, I think when they go in the locker room and say, "Boys, we're okay. Like one loss doesn't doesn't kill us. We've got to now go back, take a look at what we didn't do well, and let's regroup and have better practices." And I mean, I can only think of a time or two this year where we haven't had good practice. And I think that's because our seniors come every day and help those guys focus. 
Um, and so I think they just got them refocused and recognized right after Thanksgiving that we had another game to go, and, and, uh, and we started back up with Canton. Another interesting quirk of the schedules right after that Amherst game, you played four at home against Canton and, and Plattsburgh State in, in, um, right. in er, late November, and then Ithaca and Elmira in uh, early December, and then you went pretty much the month of December before playing again when you got into conference play on the road. Um, and then the last four games have all been on the, on the road. It's been an interesting schedule as it were this season. And, and that is a long break in December. If interesting's a synonym for terrible, okay. um, then that's, <laughs> then that is what it is. But a month off, I mean, a month off is awful coming back on the 26th of December to play on the 30th. Um, is awful, you know, to have to play on the road during break and be here living in the dorms <laughs> and living in the hotel and, you know, for three or four weeks before students get back is terrible. Um, that's the glamour stuff they don't tell you about yeah. Division Three basketball, yeah. you know. But, but these guys, like, you know, we did a lot of stuff. We tried to, you know, we tried to do things together by, like, going to movies and, and having pool tournaments and playing cards, and we tried to keep them – um, occupied all the time, you know, practicing and shooting and getting a routine. And it, it is in Division Three a little bit tougher because everything is driven financially. Um, and so, you know, you have to kind of go with, go with the flow. And if you get too wound up, this isn't a good level for you. We'll add into your terrible analogy, playing conference games on December 30th and 31st. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, at least on the 31st, it – you know, a lot of people see 31st as a as a holiday to imbibe, and so it was nice to have our guys. We knew right where they were. They were on the bus with us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we <laughs> so, won't get no into trouble. the whole conversation of the fact that you're playing conference <laughs> games on the 30th and 31st. Uh, or maybe it'll be the perfect conversation for a question I've got later. But before I get to that, obviously conference play. Skidmore, as I had said, has been kind of the, the focal point of this conference for several years. They've held the banner into the NCAA tournament into the second round a few times. They're actually 6-1. and one. They've won one more game than you have, but they've got that loss, which puts you guys in first place. Um, I don't – you guys have not played them yet. Obviously, you've got your first game coming up on the 24th, and then you'll finish the season with them at home. Um, after that, Hobart is lurking at 8-6, and 3-2. and two. You've got them coming up on the schedule. RPI's got a 10-6 and six mark. Rochester Tech's got a 9-6 and six mark, but they're all behind you in the conference. What do we make of the conference race this season? Well, the, the conferences, and I, and I said this last year, you know, last year the conference, there was a lot of parity mm-hmm. and, me- and a lot of mediocrity. Yeah. This year there's a lot of parity, but there's a lot of good teams. Hmm. And so, you know, you look at how our teams did outside the conference this year against yeah. other conferences, and we've had a good – we've had a nice run. We, so the teams in our league are good. It's anybody's, it's anybody's right now to win. Um, there's a long way to go. I think until somebody takes Skidmore down, they're the champs. And until somebody takes them down, uh, they're the favorite as far as we can tell. Um, per the conference, per the scheduling, um, this is a conference in flux. As I joked with Skidmore's head coach at the beginning of the year, it almost feels like you guys in the basketball side are just pawns in this entire game as football tries, and who knows if they are ever successful, to hold on to an automatic bid after quite a bit of movement. Um, you, how hard is that for you as a coach to not know, A, how many games you might be playing, when the conference could expand to another team 
if it may not expand to another team, if anybody decides, forget it, we're done, and bolt, um, how difficult has this been just to be a bystander, essentially? You know, it's it's not as difficult as you think from, from my perspective because I really don't have a say in it. So I don't get too wound up or worked up about what they're going to do, you know, at the administrative level. I'm going to play whoever they tell me. Um, you know, we've got now Ithaca joining our conference next year. Right. Um, they certainly make us stronger uh, academically. They make us stronger athletically. And so far as I can tell, a rising tide raises all boats. And uh, and so we're, you know, we're excited to get them on board. And, you know, we we also are in southern Canada here at St. Yes, you-, <laughs> you know, and so... And so we we have a harder time scheduling. Yeah. So for us, you know, having 18 conference games and me only have to find, you know, seven non-conference games, five after I get my tip off, you know, I mean, that doesn't – that makes my scheduling job not that hard. I can go out and play the, the Oswego's and the Brockports and try to – and really try to challenge ourselves, you know, non-conference-wise. But on that token, not knowing – obviously Ithaca comes in next year – but you don't know what the following year may or may not bring. Is that hard to try and schedule when I know you're looking that far in advance when you just don't know what you what you've gotten out of conference scheduling? Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, it absolutely does make it make it difficult. Um, you know, but again, I've been doing it now quite a while, and and so we just kind of just go with the flow with it and see what you know, wait and see what's going to happen. And and you know, there's a lot of conversations that before before it hits the general public. Um, there's a lot of conversations in-house about this is leaning that way. You might want to think about, you know, trying to line up another game or, or dumping somebody. And um, so you just, you know, we just kind of listen to what's going on and, and go from there. Uh, the next, uh, let's see, uh, next two are at home. Four of the next five are at home. Then the, f- the season wraps up with three and three, three home and three away. Right. Uh, kind of a, a theme of this of this show has been what's the message to the team moving forward because we're kind of in that weird um, mid-season where things can kind of grind down a little bit or the team can wear out, as you said, trying to keep them interested in Southern Canada while, while school's not in session. So what is the, the message to the team in the locker room or in pregame as you uh, get ready to play uh, RIT coming up on the on this weekend along with Hobart and, and for the rest of the season for that matter? Yeah, we, we, um, we looked at that seven-game stretch that you talked about right after Christmas as a critical stretch for us. Um, it was seven games, six of them were on the road, and one was against the crosstown rival in Clarkson. So we looked at that, and, and we, you know, we did some things and you know, came up with a little – we made that its own little season, and we had a goal for that part of the season, and, and we were able to achieve that. And, and so now we look at 7 of 11 at home. And, uh, you know, and this is a time where, you know, where we're going to have to see if we can protect our home court and, uh, and play better in front of our crowd and, and hopefully get some momentum going because, you know, as you pointed out, I, I don't point it out to our players, but we didn't finish as strong last year as we needed to. And, and this year, you know, I think in, in my head, we've got to really focus on one game at a time, being hungry. You know, we say around here we're playing for the conference championship every night. Um, and we're not waiting until the last week of the season against Skidmore to be thinking like that. Like, we know that every game matters, and we're going to play like that every night. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. I'm fascinated to see how the rest of the way goes. I'd love to tell you I'm going to get to Southern Canada to see a game, but I'm not all that confident right now. 
Um, but someday I'm going to get up to Canton and see some games. Um, but I do wish you luck the rest of the way. Um, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Dave, I mean, uh, we do have a great uh, we do have great coverage, um, you know, high def coverage online every yes. night when we're playing. Doesn't yep. cost you anything. So if you can tune in and or your listeners can tune in and watch us, you know, we appreciate anybody. But thanks for all you do for Division Three basketball. The stuff you guys put up on the web, the statistics, the way you cover it, the way you talk to the coaches, and you have a real positive impact on you know a lot of kids. There's 420 something Division Three schools and. And I'll tell you what, there's there's 15 kids on every team on average, and they all are are checking your website and paying attention, and and what you're doing for for that many kids is is really special year after year. So thanks for that. Well, thank you, Coach. Appreciate the kind words. Good luck. Stay warm. Um, don't get bored with the uh, card games, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks again. Absolutely. All right. Chris Downs joining us on the City of Salem uh, Skype or the City of Salem regular hotline. I don't know what I was trying to say there. Again, they are uh, having a great season, 12-2 and two and 5-0 and oh in conference play. As he mentioned, seven of their next 11 are at home, uh, including four of their next five. RIT and Hobart this weekend, Skidmore in the middle of the week, and then RPI on the road, and then RPI and Union the following weekend. Uh, at home. Uh, keep an eye on the Saints. Uh, I think we're going to see some surprises out of the East in a lot of ways. Rochester has been a surprise, and not necessarily a surprise, but how long they've gone went undefeated. And there's going to be some other surprises, and the Saints are up there. And Skidmore looks like they're going to have a much tougher opponent at the top of the conference than maybe they anticipated at the beginning of the season, but who knows. And we'll also keep an eye on how the tide changes in the Empire 8 as it were. Going to take a break. When we come back, we'll keep talking men's basketball. We'll head out to uh, the Great Lakes region, talk Hanover men's basketball. Panthers head coach John Miller joins us. You've been listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoops will after this. This is our It's On Us pledge. It's on us to make a personal commitment to help keep all people safe from sexual assault, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation or ability. Not to be bystanders to the problem, but to be leaders of the solution. We invite you to join us in this campaign by informing your campuses about the It's On Us mission. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team. 
and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. And welcome back to Hoops Hill, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. Of course, if you've got questions for us, email us, hoopsill at d3hoops.com. That's, of course, for the Hoops Hill mailbag. We hope you have a mailbag question. We'll ask that question. It's for anybody to use, but obviously those who might be listening to the podcast or watching on demand who have a question but want to get it answered, and obviously we're not on the air, we'll do it on the following show. So email us, and if you're currently watching the show live, email us, hoopsill at d3hoops.com. We'll put that up at the end of the show and answer your questions. They can be Anything and everything. Uh, if you have questions for our guests, you can certainly try and do those as well, as long as they're not pre-taped. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and ask questions there as well, at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Uh, of course, join us on Facebook, where we're Facebook live streaming the broadcast along with YouTube. You can do that at Hoopsville or at, uh, at, at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville is what I'm trying to get at. And, of course, we're on Instagram. That's where we promote the show. Uh, or when we're traveling, you can see our traveling exploits. You can follow us there at D3Hoopsville as well um talking men's basketball now we're sliding into the great lakes region as we do every uh thursday and if you haven't been paying attention to the hcac race the heartland uh race you, you might be missing out on some fun uh four teams uh with a double digit victories and no more than five losses in hanover Han anderson mount st joseph and transylvania and all those teams are within two games of each other on top of the conference Maybe not exactly how everyone thought it might shake out, though some of them are certainly in the conversation. But the one that jumps out to me is the, the one in the two-way tie. Both teams are really kind of jumping out to me. Hanover and Anderson. Anderson's 8-1 and one and 11-5 and five overall. So is Hanover, 8-1 and one but 13-2 and two overall. Their season has been pretty good to start. with. There's two losses, not too shabby, one to Washington U and the other one to Mount St. Joseph in conference play. So it got us to thinking we ought to talk to Hanover. It's been a while. So joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline is John Miller, head coach of the Panthers men's program. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Hey, Dave. It's good to be with you. Like you said, it has been a while. I was trying to put a, a time on the last time we'd gotten together. I know we were together in Vegas there a few years ago. Uh, but it's good to be with you. Yeah, that might have been the last time I saw you, uh, though I don't remember if we saw each other at the NCAA tournament later that year um, when you were at Transylvania, but certainly it's been a while, so it's great to chat. Uh, glad you're still there, for that matter, because we're yeah. familiar with you. Um, That's right. That's right. Hey, listen, 13-2 and two start. Um, not too bad. I think a lot of people took notice when you beat John Carroll in the third game of the season, 90-89. Then you, you lost to Wash U, and it, it wasn't close, lost by 20. But then I think that's where everybody can, oh, hey, look, it's Hanover, and then went, oh, never mind, and have ignored the fact that you've only lost one game since uh, and have played pretty well. You've, you've got to be thrilled with how this season has gone from your vantage point. Yeah, you know, I, 
the same as, as a lot of coaches. You know, all through the, the summer and into the preseason, you get a lot of questions about, hey, how are you going to be this year? How's your team going to be? And I'd say probably with this team as much as any, um, you know, I really felt like there was a really wide range of where we could end up. You know, I saw ways where we could be pretty good. I saw ways where I had concerns where we might struggle. And, um, you know, as we've gotten going here, um, you know, so much, I don't know if momentum's the right word, but, you know, you, you have a win, you know, like we had against John Carroll. And, it, you know, you mentioned we had a tough loss there to Wash U. But, you know, you, you have a win against John Carroll. We'd won a, a couple other games close late. And that just has a way, I think, sometimes of, of uh, uh, you know, kind of growing on your guys a little bit. And uh, uh, so, you know, yeah, it's been, it's been a good start so far. Obviously, we have a long way to go, big one on Saturday. But uh, it's been a good start for the Panthers so far. Of course, John Carroll victory starting to look better after their 1-4 and four start on the season. They are 10-5 and five overall now. Um, of course, Wash U is now nationally ranked uh, or has been in and out of the rankings as well. So obviously those two games are a bit of a barometer. Uh, but you look the rest of the way and obviously got off to a really good start in conference play. And your only next loss was to Mount St. Joseph, which is the only loss in conference action. As we mentioned, you're 8-1 and one in a rather full HCAC scheduling. Got a couple non-Division 3s, which are hard to gauge. You beat Boyce at the beginning of the year by 55, and you beat Ohio State-Lima by a significant margin. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But outside of, of what we see on just paper, how has this team responded this year? And are they maybe playing above expectations even for yourself? Well, I mean, I think you could look at that. It would be a possibility that maybe we've exceeded um, – you know, some of the expectations that people had, uh, you know, on the outside, I think probably within our team, our team, like a lot of teams, you know, your guys always, you know, think you can have a, a really good year. And sometimes as a coach, you're trying to remind them of the things they're going to need to do to make that happen. Um, you know, I, I think that because of the, just the, the consistency of success we've had here at Hanover for a long, long time, I think that, you know, when preseason polls come out and when people think about the HCAC, there's always kind of an assumption on the outside that Hanover will be somewhere in the mix, you know. Um, but, but you know, as it relates to, you know, those thoughts that I had, um, you know, like I said, going into the year, um, uh, this team, like I said, as much as any I've had, you know, I mean, I, I felt like it could be – I felt like we had um, – you know, some of the things necessary to win a conference championship. Um, but then, you know, I also uh, could see some areas where I knew we'd have to be better in order to make that happen. And so, um, you know, you mentioned the four teams at the top of the, uh, of the Heartland right now. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a real battle here through the second half of the season. Uh, interestingly enough, that second half of the season, you've got a big one coming up on Saturday. It's at Anderson, who obviously you guys beat earlier in the year at home, 88-86. You guys are tied for first place in the conference. So this one has a lot riding on it, despite it being a mid-January game. Um, obviously, it can dictate a little bit of how the season progresses the rest of the way, puts you in the catbird seat. Um, should you come away with a victory? If it's a split, it at least lets everybody know where they stand. Is is it hard to 
get the players to understand that significance, or is it almost an effort of trying to not let them know the significance of a game on January 21st versus February 21st? Well, you know, um, that's a great question. And um, I, I, I don't think that uh, – I don't think with our guys there'll be, um, you know, whether it was last Wednesday with Mount St. Joe, uh, this coming Saturday with, with Anderson, you know, as much as a coach as I like to tell them, hey, all 18 games count the same, which they do, you know, do the math on it, you know, you don't get any more credit for – uh, you know, uh, a big win on the road as opposed to, you know, a tough loss at home. Uh, the reality is I think our guys understand that, hey, um, it's a big game on Saturday, you know, and, and um, it's the sort of game that I think when you play college basketball, right, you know, no matter what level, no matter what league you're in, you know, you want to get to have opportunities to play in those games that, that have that meaning. I think it's my job as a coach to, you know, make sure they, they – uh, you know, they understand, hey, if, if we go and we're, we were to find a way to win a game this coming Saturday, that would, while it might put us on the top of the standings when they looked on the website, right, um, we still got a long way to go. And the same thing could be said vice versa. You know, I mean, if, if you came up a little short, I mean, that would put us into a split then with Anderson. We'd still have a win over them. They'd have a win over us. Um, you know, we try to as much as possible, like a lot of teams and coaches, you know, just keep trying to play them one at a time. Um, but that's a challenge with your guys because they all know what uh, what some of these games mean for sure. Obviously, this is a conference also that predicted Mount St. Joseph to win it. You guys have finished third, and we're far from uh, having that ultimately decided. Um, you guys are in the conversation now with Anderson, but and, and Transylvania has reemerged in the mix as well. Brian Lane's squad is back in the top half of the conference. Is this how this conference may finish with you four kind of running and making the determination who's going to win it? Or is somebody from maybe the, the below that group going to surprise? Or can you guys maybe even maybe put your foot down further on this conference? Well, you know, I, you know, if I was a gambling man, I don't know if I'm supposed to use that word on a NCAA uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so let's just say if I was a picking man, uh, you know, those four teams seem to be the, the, the strongest four as it would relate to uh, the ability to, to stay at the top over the, the stretch of the conference season. With that being said, does that mean somebody not in those four uh, uh, can't knock one of those four off? That, that can definitely happen. You know how conference play is in every conference. You know, I mean, um, coaches know each other. Teams know each other. You really have a good feel for people's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, matchups become real important. So I think my breakdown of the Heartland halfway through is, is uh, it'll be, I think, as the conference champion, one of those four teams. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, Anderson – I'm telling you, Dave, I don't know how much you've looked at their stats, but they are as good offensively as, as anybody. Uh, you know, John Carroll can really score it. They got off to a slow start, but, you know, they can really score it. Anderson can score it right up there with them. Brian's team at Trancy has really, I think, found themselves a little bit of a, of a slow start, but they're probably one of the hottest teams around right now. Great win last night at Mount. Uh, you know, and then and Coach Kerrigan at Mount, he does a great job. Obviously, an NCAA tournament team last year. Uh, they just, 
you know, pulled one out against us here. I, I noticed last night their starting five man didn't play. I don't know if it's an injury or what, but that does change their team a little bit. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from Trancy and their win, but uh, um, you know, I would anticipate that that uh, one of those four will probably be the team that's on the top at the end. Talking to uh, John Miller, head coach of Hanover Panthers, on top of the conference with Anderson in the HCAC. Uh, I got to go figure out if if all the coaches paid you to say such kind things about them. <laughs> um, obviously, it's it's been an interesting conference over time. You guys, for example, already have pretty much met the win total from last year. You were fourteen and twelve last year, twelve and twelve the year before that, and kind of in the middle of the pack of the conference. You know, coming off of years like 2014 and 2013 where you were on top of the conference along with Transylvania and others, but there's kind of been some tide shifting in the conference. Mount St. Joseph has now emerged in the last few years. We've seen Rose Holman be on top for a while. Is that just the nature of this conference that we that we tend to roll over the top a little bit versus some conferences where you always kind of know who's going to be on top? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's probably a fair assessment. You know, I mean um... – you know, with the type of programs and the type of schools in our league, I think there are some ebbs and flows to it. You know, I, I don't know that we have anybody that has the Division Three history that would be, you know, say on par with a a, a Worcester or a, a Illinois Wesleyan. I, I'm probably missing schools. I'm just, you know, naming things off the top of my head. I, I'd like to think that within our league, you know, over time, you know, Hanover – fits that bill as much as anybody in our league. Um, but I still, I, I don't know that I would put us at, at the level of those schools, you know, competing. We, you know, we've never made it to the final four or anything like that. And so, you know, I, it, if you do the math, like I think you add up win totals, you know, like we've won more games in more league games over the last seven or eight years than anybody in our league. But when we finished at the top, the people that we finished at the top with has been a variety of people. It's Mount. It's obviously it's been Rose with some of the great teams that Jim Shaw had there at Rose. Um, you know, one of the best coaches to ever coach the game, in my opinion, you know, with Coach Shaw. Uh, you know, Brian has had great teams at Trancy. Even, you know, there's a year where uh, we got beaten in the conference championship by Manchester, you know, and, 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 and that sort of thing. So I think that you've got the heartland pegged correctly that there is some ebb and flow to, you know, who has been at the top defiance defiance. Uh, what was it? Two years ago, they go to whitewater and win, yep. you know, on the road, uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So, um, why that is exactly, I don't know. Uh, but I think that's kind of what the, the, the near history has, has shown us about our league. Yeah, Manchester the other night, uh, or a couple nights ago, beat Transylvania, or lost Transylvania by seven, then goes out and beat top-ten-ranked uh, top North Park by 22, and then comes back and loses by 12 to Anderson. <laughs> talk about right. uh, an right. ebb and flow. Uh, let's, talk, right. let's talk a little bit about your team. This is a bit of a young team. I almost feel like you've arrived at, the, at, at this level maybe a little bit early. You have one senior on the team. They're third in, in this team in scoring, and Corey Munchmore. 13 and a half points a game and six rebounds a game. You're led by a junior in West McKinney at 20 and a half points a game and nearly eight rebounds a game. Uh, second on the team is a, was it a freshman? I think Cam fails 15 and a half points a game. Um, Cam's a sophomore. Yeah, Cam's sophomore. A sophomore. I'm sorry. Yep. Sophomore yep. Yep. Uh, shoots 44% from beyond the arc and 52% from the field. And it's fourth. The, the fourth guy is the freshman 8.9 points a game for Logan rats. 
Uh, and every one of those guys I've mentioned also hands out their fair share of an assist, more than an assist, almost two or three assists a game. So you, you've got a one senior on this squad, obviously contributing. You've got a number of underclassmen who are also contributing. And you're getting a lot of scoring, a lot of distribution, and a lot of rebounding from a lot of different people. Yeah, we are. I mean, uh, we're we're the classic example, I think, of you know the the sum of our parts added together um, is better than you know just our individual pieces. And that's not to, that's not to undersell you know our players. I mean, Wes McKinney is having an outstanding year. I mean, he is really a guy that I think people need to take a look at. Um, you know, his numbers are off the charts. I mean, he's maybe the second leading score in our league. He's leading our league in rebounding, um, you know, his percentages in terms of how he's shooting the basketball, um, you know, have been, have been outstanding. So that's not to take anything away from the job he's doing or Corey Munchmore's doing or, or Cam Fails is doing. But I, I do think we are a team that, um, you know, when we, if we get a good win, it's generally a really collective effort. Um, you know, we only have the one senior, but I tell you what, outside of, of, you know, Logan Ratz, who's a freshman, we're really relying on guys that do have some experience. I mean, the guys that are real important to us that don't show up on the stat sheet are Levi Buck and Colin Smith. And, you know, you've seen a lot of Division Three basketball, Dave, over the years. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's, it, it, I, I think there at times is something to be said to having some veteran players, to having some guys that have been through the battles. Um, you know, a guy like Levi Buck, a guy like Colin Smith, are guys that didn't walk right in the door as freshmen and play, right? And, and you know, in Division Three, a lot of times guys now um, – if they don't play right away, they don't. They're 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 not going to continue to play, right? You know, and and you see a lot of roster turnover and that sort of thing. And you know, I think the hidden thing for us, and I've told a lot of people this, is you know those two guys are juniors. They've been through our practices for two and a half years now. They know what we expect out of them. They know, um, you know, what we expect them to do defensively. They're they're very comfortable in the roles that they have offensively. And so I think if you talk to a Cam, a Wes, a Corey Munchmore, they tell you, hey, a lot of their success is because they're out there with then a couple other guys that kind of know what they're doing. And so unlike some people, we're not real reliant on young guys outside of Cam, who's a sophomore, but basically started for us all last year. So he's a pretty experienced sophomore, you know. Um, so while we'll only graduate one, and on paper we may look kind of young based on that, I really feel like we've got some veteran guys that, you know, like I said, have been in the weight room or a little stronger, a little tougher, you know, a little more able to handle adversity. And I think that's been real good for us. The numbers jump out at me. I mean, I mentioned Cam Fales shooting 52% from the floor, 44% from beyond the arc. But you look at McKinney's numbers. He's shooting 53% from the floor. He's shooting 46% from beyond the arc, 47 of 102, 82% from the free throw line. For a good shooter, to lead the team in rebounding at nearly eight a game is stellar. And then you look at your overall stats. You're outscoring your opponents by 15. You're out-rebounding them by five. You're committing five less fouls a game uh, on average. And you're shooting 52% from the floor as a team. Those are a lot of big numbers that, that 
that tell a lot when it comes to how dangerous is this team offensively. Yeah, you know, uh, and you mentioned a couple of the non-Division three games that we've got. You know, hey, some of those stats are a little bit, you know, a point differential. Like, let's yeah. be honest, right? I get it. You know, it's a little bit off. But, but in terms of, um, you know, we have tried to get better at not turning over the ball. Now, this isn't – that's not something that you really want to talk about on the podcast a lot because it's kind of boring, right, to talk about <laughs> like turning it over. But, you know, we, we, we've got some room to continue to improve there because, you know, like, hey, I tell our guys, you know, if we don't turn it over and we can shoot it a little bit, you know, there's a pretty good chance that those could turn into points, you know, sort of thing. Um, but, you know, back to Wes, I mean, I'll tell you, Dave, Wes plays as hard – and as consistently as any guy I've coached, you know, I mean, he, his motor is very, very high. Um, you know, has done a great job for us. Um, you know, I think he'd be the first to tell you that he's got some guys in camp fails and Levi Buck and Logan Ratz to do a great job. Colin Smith do a good job of getting him the ball when he's open, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing probably for us, honestly, Dave, to kind of flip the switch a little bit is, you know, I'm always leery, you know, with, with shooting the ball. Are we going to go up to Anderson on Saturday and shoot 52% from the field? I, I mean, I hope we do. I hope we don't turn it over and we get the good shots that we have a, a high percentage chance of making. Um, but, you know, we may have open shots we don't make. If we're going to stay in the game, you know, it, it's more for us kind of where we rank out defensively. That's a really big deal for us. And that's probably uh, – uh, the part of it that I pay most attention to, you know what I mean with our stats. Um, what's our defensive field goal percentage? How many threes are we giving up? Um, how much are we fouling? You brought that up. You know, what I mean, we. I think it's a big deal in college basketball. You got to be able to guard without fouling. You put people on the foul line a lot. You know, you're in trouble. And so uh, I hope we'll continue to improve in those areas as well. Now you take those two games out of the equation. You're outscoring your opponents 79 and a half to 71.1. So still. A significant number, almost double figures. A um, couple other questions. Obviously, the, the win over Ohio State Lima took place at Defiance and was it your 200th career victory. I, I see a lot of things in this game that are kind of interesting, and we'll thank Tyler for pointing them out, your SID. First of all, 118 points, most programs scored under, under you, I believe, if not program history. Second of all, it's your 200th win, and it's at Defiance where you got your head coaching start, and, of course, you're coaching your alma mater, there's a lot of things that took place in that game that, that, that probably meant a lot to you. Yeah, you know, it was kind of funny, Dave, the way that worked out. I literally didn't know anything about it leading up to my 200th until about 30 minutes before the game. <laughs> and I just happened to get an alert on Twitter that uh, somehow, that it, you know, somebody had mentioned it. And uh, come to find out, a lot of other people knew about it. My whole team knew about it. Of course, Tyler knew about it. The people at Defiance knew about it. And there was it was kind of a neat deal because uh, uh, old Dick Kaiser, the old uh, former athletic director there at Defiance, gave my first job, first chance to be a head coach up there at Defiance and had our first win uh, in the Purple and Gold Tournament, which that year, my first year, was a tip-off tournament against Grace College, uh, NAIA school yeah. in Indiana. And then, uh, yeah, ended up, for the 200th being back at defiance in the purple and gold classic. So that was kind of a neat deal. Of course, my former assistant is now the head coach there at defiance. So, um, it, it, it worked out well. Uh, it, it worked out well and it was, it was a neat day. 
Um, what's the message to the team the rest of the way? Yeah, you're off to obviously this great start. You obviously have a lot of important games ahead of you, including Anderson, as we mentioned, coming up on Saturday. You'll be at Transylvania to start the month of February, and you've got to go to Mount St. Joseph. So interestingly enough, the, th- the three you're battling with, you're going to have to play on the road the rest That's of the right. way. So what's what's the message to the team here? In, in, in and, I, and I can predict it's you know focused on each game, but, I mean, in the grand scheme right. of things, what is it? Right. Well, you know, I mean, I'll tell you today, we're going to come in and, and we're going to look at a little bit at what went on last night. And again, this is this is coach speak, but it is truth. You know, we got to just continue to see if we can find ways to to get better. Um, you know, going through the second time of conference play now, part of your scattering report, you know, is watching that first game, you know, as well. So, hey, what did we do well? What did we not do well in that game? What do we have to do better? Um you're right. Certainly, hey, uh, let's have all of our attention be on Anderson, and then we'll figure out who we play next after that. Um, now, I can say that to these guys. Will they necessarily listen to all of it and, and not block everything else out? You know, um, probably not, right? You know, they're, 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 they're on their phones all the time. You know, they, they know all this stuff. You know, they'll, some of them will probably even listen to me tonight and see if I said anything good or bad about them, you know, but uh, – uh, actually, uh, uh, so, you know, like you said, we've got to go on the road to those three places. We'll probably, uh, really kind of stay away from talking a lot about that, but, uh, um, you know, it really is just, let's figure out what we need to do in this next one to give ourselves the best chance to win. And, uh, if we win, we'll move on to the next one. If we lose, we'll move on to the next one as well. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about your team and, and the conference. Obviously, big game coming up on Saturday against Anderson, but obviously a lot of big games coming up the rest of the conference way. I appreciate you taking the time. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who uh, may be tuning in? No, I, I just uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be on with you here tonight and uh, you know appreciate all you do. I know it takes a lot of time for you to, to put all these things together and uh, – it really is a neat deal and gives a, uh, a great bit of publicity to a lot of these hardworking uh, ball players in Division Three. Well, thank you for the kind words. We certainly enjoy doing it, and having you come on the show makes it a lot easier. Uh, good luck the rest of the season. I look forward to chatting with you down the road. Okay, thanks, Dave. John Miller joining us from Hanover again. The Panthers eleven are uh, thirteen and two overall, eight and one in conference play. Big game against eleven and five, eight and one Anderson coming up on Saturday. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll head up into uh, Minnesota. We'll talk Bethel men's basketball. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville after this. Division three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division three athletics affords students the opportunity to you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. 
If you can play, you can play in Division III. Educate your student body, faculty, staff, and local community on how to prevent sexual assault and how to support survivors. To recognize that non-consensual sex is sexual assault. To identify situations in which sexual assault may occur. To intervene in situations where consent has not or cannot be given. To create an environment in which sexual assault is unacceptable and survivors are supported. And welcome back to Hoops Hill, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. Don't forget, time is running out to get uh, an email in for this show for the Hoops Hill Mailbag segment. Email us, hoopsill at d3hoops.com. We will answer any mailbag questions that we have gotten uh, coming up in the next segment as we wrap up Hoopsville for this evening. Uh, don't forget to follow us or ask us questions also on Twitter at D3Hoopsville or use the hashtag Hoopsville. Follow us on Facebook where we're streaming the show live. You can watch us there as well, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And, of course, um, you can also follow us on Instagram uh, at, D, at D3Hoopsville using the hashtag Hoopsville as well. Instagram and Twitter, the same accounts essentially uh, as well. I've um, been talking a lot of good basketball here, and now we're heading out to Minnesota and talking about the men's program there at Bethel. Uh, the team is 11-4 uh, and four despite, unfortunately, losing three of their last five games. But there's probably more to it than just saying they've lost three of their last five. There's a lot going on at Bethel, and the team was certainly playing good basketball in a conference that's a little bit in flux. We're used to the Tommies of St. Thomas dominating this conference for the most part. That is not the case this season. So it adds in a little bit more interest. So joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach for Bethel, Doug Novak. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Thank you. Happy to be here. I appreciate you taking the time. First and foremost, before the, the recent struggles, uh, obviously this team was off to a tremendous start. Um, you have to be thrilled with not only what was an 11-2 start, but also just the way you played against some of your conference opponents to start the season. Uh, yeah, we, we were off to a really good start. And, and, in fact, we've actually played some pretty good basketball. We just haven't come out on the on the winning side. Uh, these teams in our league are really well balanced. They're good. And, and we're, we're a small team that has to fight and claw for every inch that we've got. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't make the plays down the stretch to win the games. But, you know, there's no real problems here or issues. It's just that it's a, it's a very talented league and well-balanced. Obviously lost the, the two games most recently um, against St. John's on the road and at Concordia Moorhead. It was part of a three-game road stretch that dated back to the win over Gustavus Adolphus on January 11th. Prior to that, you lost to St. Thomas on January 4th uh, at home, 83-74. Um, kind of helped right St. Thomas's ship a little bit. But, you know, this five-game stretch has been a little bit tough again. Uh, two on home and then three on the road. You'll You'll at least get to get back at home. Uh, coming up this weekend against Hamlin. But, you know, you say you're playing good basketball, and certainly the numbers say that, but what has been the biggest challenge? If it's Is it more than just a size differential? Uh, well, no, the biggest challenge has been the other teams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, like, I, I'm serious when I say this. They're, they're really good teams, uh, and you know, when you go on the road, anything can happen, and uh, – you know, you might get in a little bit of foul trouble here. You might have a little bit, guy might be nicked up, uh, and you're playing those games back to back. It feels like, and you're on the road, uh, like anything could happen. Uh, I, I just have so much respect for what our league 
does, and sometimes we just beat up on ourselves. Uh, but uh, no, I, 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 I'm extremely happy when we win, and I'm extremely disappointed when we lose. And it was a heartbreaker last night on a last-second shot. But that's the game. Uh, that's the game of basketball. And and if we have these extreme highs and extreme lows, uh, we're probably not going to go anywhere. But you know, if we can see. You know, we did a lot of good things, and sometimes we do more good things in a loss than we do when we win. Uh, now, I'd take the win any day, uh, you know, over the coach talk I just gave you. But, uh, <laughs> but I sure don't. But I sure don't want to hide uh, the good things that we've we've accomplished just just because we didn't execute a couple plays down the stretch. Well, I said in the intro that this is a conference that St. Thomas has dominated for the most part for 11 years now. And and obviously in the last couple of years, it hasn't been as easy for St. Thomas, but they've still come out on top with maybe one blemish. And the rest of you kind of fighting for the scraps, as it were. This year, it, it does look different because St. Thomas has kind of come back to the fold. But maybe in reality, it's also revealed a little bit more of how difficult this conference has become because... We've even admitted over the last couple of years, it used to be just talking about St. Thomas, and now we're talking about Bethel and Hamlin and St. Olaf and St. John's and others. The The depth has really started to, to shine here. Yeah, and, and I've always said this. There's there's always talk around town is that St. Thomas doesn't belong in this league because, you know, whether it's facilities or some financial uh, things that they have that, that may be above the rest of us. And I and I always say absolutely not. We want St. Thomas in this league. They they are first class. They do things the right way. Uh, they play an elite style of, of basketball and, and for that matter football and the and the rest of their sports. And what it does is that it it forces the rest of the league to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can whine about them, or we can just you just watch you watch and say we got to get better. And to be able to compete with the, the top of the league. And obviously, I mean, they were dominant before I got here, and they've been dominant since I've been here. And they're a really good, uh, classy organization. But I, but I do think when you have a team like St. Thomas in your conference, it elevates the rest of the teams. And that's certainly what it seems like this conference has, has experienced in the last few years as more teams have gotten uh, into the conversation. And obviously a second team made the NCAA tournament recently in St. Olaf. And, Obviously, that's what everybody's fighting for is that opportunity. What else has changed, though? Obviously, St. Thomas has come down a little bit. Has it been that the apple of St. Thomas ahead of you, or the carrot, I should say, has, has spurred everybody on? Or has almost the parity of Division Three allowed all of you to start gather, you know, getting your own bits of talent to now compete? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know if I have the answer. I, I'm sure it's a combination of both. Uh, St. Thomas is really good still. I mean, they just had some younger, and I don't, I don't even know if they're younger players. I mean, they've been on that roster for a while. There's probably playing JV or backup roles, but you know they were really good players. Uh, so I mean, I just yeah, I don't know if I have a, a full explanation for what the balance is. I just know it's it's a well coached and balanced league. What's the, um, the the difference for you guys? I mean, we go back to 2014. You were 14 and 13. The year before that, fifteen and eleven, but the the two seasons since nineteen and nine, eighteen and nine, now eleven and four. What's been the change for Bethel men's basketball that has allowed you to kind of rise to the top of this conference and you know at before the two game loss at least be leading the conference? Yeah, well, I I'd, I'd say it was you know we've been pretty consistent with with what we do you know for the last four years. 
and there have been some guys that have been able to grow in the program and develop a little bit of a, uh, you know, an overused word, the culture of, of how we want to play, of how we want to practice, uh, how we want to conduct ourselves. And so when a new guy comes into the program, it's much easier than our first year when everybody was new, including myself. Uh, so, so we're just establishing kind of a way of life of how we want to do things around here that I think has, has made a big difference. Look at your roster. You have a large roster, quite a few uh, numbers uh, in the sense, but you've only got two seniors, and they're both guards. Um, two of the three are obviously part of the uh, – two of them, I should say, are part of the five leading scores. Um, you're led by uh, uh, Bridgeport Tussler at, at 16 points a game, but it's Bryson Wojtka and Trevor Hall who are your two seniors at 13 points each. Is this a sign that this program's just continuing to evolve, that obviously next year should continue what we've seen the last few years? Well, well that would be the goal, is that you just keep on <laughs> build, building off of each year. And I, and I think that first year that I was here, and we probably had five or six seniors on that team, and, and maybe one of them played, but, but they were just they just jumped right into the program and laid such a foundation and they wanted to leave their mark on the program in a positive way. And I still think because they're around, they're coaching our JV team, they're in the stands, uh, and they're still around our program. They just don't go away. And, and the, the mark that they made four years ago is paying off, uh, you know, for these last couple of years, you know, in terms of the kind of men that we want to be in this program. Four of your starters are in double figures. Your fifth starter may not be in double figures, but he's certainly got contributions elsewhere. You've got a player off the bench in double figures in scoring. Um, you've got a fourth player nearly in double figures in, in Jack Jensen at eight points a game, also coming off the bench. That core of seven is obviously the biggest part of your offense, but it's also interesting that, that's, that you've got five players in double figures and that 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 so many can find ways to contribute. Uh, yeah, we we try to share the ball and space the floor as much as we can, and we have a lot of versatile players. You know, we like to say we like to have a style that uh, that lets players grow. And so Trevor Hall at five eleven might be one of the better posters in our league, uh, and he came in at one hundred and forty pounds, mm. and he's and he's developed. And I didn't know he was going to grow that way. He's going to grow into that game, but it was nice that we were flexible enough. To, to let their games teach us, and so it's you know it's always a a little bit of a ballot battle or challenge. Uh, you know, new players getting to know a coach, but it's also coaches getting to know players, uh, getting to know how they're developing, what what side of the floor they like, uh, and trying to put them in as as good of positions as possible to make each other better. Um, again, you have a whole mess of juniors and and youth on this team, and obviously they're the ones who are contributing the most. Is that almost maybe take the pressure off uh, in some senses that, you know, you still do have another year. Uh, I know for two seniors, technically you don't, but there's no pressure to get it done this year or to make a, a significant step forward this year. Is that pressure removed when you have so many underclassmen? You know, I no, I, I don't <laughs> really think about it that way because it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just enjoying the time I have with this particular team and, I really don't get too far out from today. Uh, it's, it's a strength of mine. It's not something I work on. 
but it also can be a weakness too because I, when I say that I'm only thinking about today, I am only thinking about today. I can, uh, I can understand and, that. A lot of coaches do that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and I might be a, a little bit on the obsessed side with that. So, uh, no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just fun knowing that the, the program and the, and the uh, roster is, is, is balanced. Uh, to keep on growing so we, you don't have to scrap something and start all over. And, and again, we want this thing to continue and we want to be able to grow in, in the right direction. So it's it's been a lot of fun. So what's the message to the team? Obviously, the next three games are at home. you got Hamlin, St. Olaf, and Mal... Uh, Mal, uh, Mal I can't speak. McAllister. Thank you. It's a simple word. I just apparently can't say yeah. it. Um, uh, at home. Then you're at St. Thomas. Then you're back at home for two more against... Carlton and St. John. So obviously a really important stretch coming up to try and take advantage of the home court. So what do you what do you tell your team? What's the message in practice or in pregame? Yeah, it'll be fun being being at home. It feels like we played a lot of these games in the first semester on the road. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be fun. But but really you know, it's it because we are versatile, because we have a lot of flexibility in how we play. I mean, sometimes you can be too flexible and too versatile, and you can forget about some of your strengths. Uh, and so we, we are scoring quite a few points. Uh, we, we get it out, we run, and transition, share the ball. But at the same time, there, there are times in the game where you really got to work a possession. So at this time of, of year, defenses are getting better. Conversion defense, they're getting set. So maybe they're taking a couple transition points away. And so we've got to be able to adjust and be willing to grind out some possessions with our half-court offense, which has been pretty good over the last couple of years. Um, interesting uh, side notes on this program I want to kind of touch on. First and foremost, you, you, most of your roster comes obviously from Minnesota or Iowa. You have one from Colorado, but the one that jumps out of me is a freshman, Mo Bullock from Ketchikan, Alaska, very southern tip of Alaska, not exactly easy to get in and out of. How in the world do you get a player from Ketchikan, Alaska, to to you know, Minnesota to play basketball at Bethel? Uh, I, I think the Mayak in general and, and Bethel in general, will, 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 the core will always be Minnesota kids. Yeah, I mean that's who we are. But I do like I do like some diversity because I, I think it's healthy uh, for any team. Uh, you know, I got it. I played at University of Tennessee, and so I had a couple foreign guys on our team, and I really enjoyed that experience. And and this one just he happened to have a relative in Minnesota and reached out to us, and we watched the film, talked to him a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's turned out to be a pretty good fit. And he seems to be growing. <coughs> excuse me, every day. Obviously a freshman, but that's 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 a pretty cool story. The other one you kind of touched on there. You're a University of Tennessee grad which doesn't mean much until you look at your bio and notice that you played tennis at Tennessee, not necessarily a basketball background. So how did you make the shift from playing on a number one tennis program to coaching in basketball? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a weird background. It's not normal uh, (laughs) in terms of, of most basketball coaches. But I was a basketball guy all the way through. Uh, all the way through high school, and I'd planned on going to play play basketball in college, and I picked up tennis late, and then I had this opportunity. I visited Ole Miss and, and the University of Tennessee, and I chose Tennessee, and I had that opportunity. And I'm I'm a five ten guy that wanted to be a pro of something, and I was <laughs> I was getting so good so fast at tennis, even though that 
you know, my love was basketball. I mean, it never wavered. And I just said, you know what, my best chance is, is playing tennis. And, uh, and I got to play around, play with some great, great players, guys that had, at Wimbledon and U.S. Open championships. And, and it was a, it was so much fun being around pros, uh, and seeing how they work. And, and my, my coach, my former coach at the University of Tennessee was Mike DePalmer. And, uh, he was actually an assistant basketball coach at Florida State with Hugh Durham. Okay. Uh, before Hugh Durham went to Georgia, so he had a basketball background, and and I just loved playing for him and and learning from him and on all the camp work we did over the summer. And then during the summers, I worked all basketball camps because I knew I wanted to be a basketball coach. And then right when I finished, I thought, well, this is the dumbest thing I did is play tennis. I've got no contact with basketball. Mm. And so I took a tennis job at, at Clemson University. So my my tennis coaching background was all set. I and mean, I was coming from a pretty high-level program. And then moved into Clemson and coached there. And then uh, a guy named Cliff Ellis was a basketball coach, and he helped me with get into a junior college ba- assistant basketball coaching job. And then from there, I was a straight basketball. Interesting. Uh, you you won the U.S. Open though, so I wait. No, that's Novak Djokovic. N- never mind. <laughs> yeah, wrong one. <laughs> yeah, di- different different Novak. Um, yeah. <laughs> completely. Uh, well, it's certainly fascinating. But then the other thing is you you coming from you come to Bethel back in 2013 via Tulane as an assistant coach at Tulane. I mean, there isn't necessarily any straight line I can find that gets you into Bethel. How did you decide that Bethel was the right choice, especially at Division Three, where obviously, I mean, you, you, you may have had some experience, but my point being, you're at Tulane, you're still in that D1 world. Yeah, well, I thought uh, the city of New Orleans and Bourbon Street was very similar to what, Bethel and their sure. faith, faith-based campus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what their faith-based campus had to offer. Yeah, no, totally was, the same parallel. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was an absolute lunatic move, uh, <laughs> and and trust me, it was not on my day planner. It was not something that I was thinking about. Uh, is a friend of mine who's the baseball coach here. He played for the Twins, uh, and then he played with my brother-in-law. Uh, I talked with him and he said the job's open would you be interested and i said no why would i be <laughs> uh, and then and then we talked some more and uh and i realized that i hadn't been home uh i grew up in south dakota and i hadn't been home in about four years and i thought you know what this would be a good chance and this will sound terrible but this will be a good chance for me to come home and see my mom and then get back to work at Tulane. and so i'll you know go talk with bethel and get out of there and move on and, and when I came here, I was just blown away. I mean, it wasn't uh, it, the, the coaching level here, the football coach, amazing, uh, baseball track, you name it. I sat for three hours with, with about 15 coaches around a table, and, and we started to talk. Uh, my mom and dad owned a bar in South Dakota, and it felt like I was at the bar uh, with men talking uh, about sports. And then after about 10, 15 minutes, they went, to a level where you're pretty deep with some faith uh, topics, and it wasn't uncomfortable. And, and when I left there, it was actually in May and it was snowing. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, "This is this is really insane." And I said, "I think I have to take this job," and, and I didn't want to. And I just said a little prayer in my car. And I said, "I'm going to shut up. If there's any signs 
uh, I'll listen to them. And, and sure enough, every step I took, every turn I looked, there was some sort of sign that was leading me to Bethel. Hmm. And so if you want to say that's the Holy Spirit or, or coincidence, I don't know which one it was, but I know this. That it was such a pull to come here. And I talked it over with my wife and, uh, and family a little bit. I have three daughters. And we made the, we made the move. I mean, it was it's not a not a normal path because I was thinking my next job might be a you know another Division One job or, yeah. or or maybe long there. But I was enjoying what I was doing. I was working with some great people with Ed Conroy. And uh, but this was just too much of a pull, and it's been a perfect fit for me. Like it, whatever I thought it was going to be, it's a hundred times better. Well, that's cool. And obviously, the winningest, uh, the highest winning percentage of any Bethel men's coach at least to this point. So it's worked out for the program as well. Um, and, and, and to continue on kind of the interesting th- facets of, of you and the coaching and whatnot, you've also made the decision. And honestly, I, I said to you before we went on air, I don't think it's that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, but it is a big deal to many. You have an, a, a female assistant um, on your program, uh, Alicia Vestendahl, um, you know, I made a comment to you before air. I mean, we've had male assistant coaches and head coaches on the women's side. We've I've had female athletic trainers as part of my uh, athletic life. I don't think it's that uncommon to have them around, but it's new. It's it's not something that's really done on the men's side. What drove you to that decision? Well, when I first took this job, I mean, I guess the one thing that I that I was not expecting was to have much help on the support side. So if if an athletic trainer, great. If we didn't, that's fine. I kind of thought it would be me and then maybe uh, and then if I could afford one. Uh, so I wasn't expecting much there. Coming from Division One, we had everything. We had assistants for the assistants, and we had multiple athletic trainers. And then when I got here, I was shocked at the, at the talent level uh, that was around here. And Alicia Vistendahl, was our athletic trainer. So yeah. she was a female, female athletic trainer for our men's basketball team. And again, I didn't have very many expectations for her in her role. In fact, I think two days after practice, she asked me, how, how are we doing? Do you need to do any, do we need to do anything else? And I said, to be honest with you, I don't even notice you here. And it sounds rude, but she took it as a compliment because she said, well, that means I'm doing my job then. I don't want to be a distraction. Hmm. And that's really, that's really all I wanted out of her. Don't be a distraction. And then one night I'm at home and I'm watching film or practice and I see her on the sideline with one of our injured players and she's doing some rebounding type drills and functional movement, things that we think are important on how to move. And I was like, well, she, she kind of knows what she's doing. And then, and then she's the first one to like pick up balls after practice. And she, she started to make our lives, uh, the coaching staff a lot easier without asking for anything. And sometimes your first year is such a whirlwind. You're trying to figure things out, get things organized. Uh, and then we'd be on the, we'd go on a road trip, and she'd say, "I, I can plan the meals for you guys. I'll call them in and make it easier." And, and I've even got some coupons for a couple pizza places. And I said, "Well, that's that's outstanding." Uh, so it just started that way. That she, and then I said, "You know what? I'm gonna start paying you to be director of basketball operations, so you can start taking care of calendars. You can start, you know, so we can." be a little bit more professional in how we do everything and even our recruiting documents and developing some website ideas. And then before you know it, I mean, she, before she had the title of assistant basketball coach, every kid in our program thought she was an assistant basketball coach. Mm. The title 
did not make her the assistant. I said her presence and knowledge. And as I find out, I got to know her a little bit better. I mean, she was with the Minnesota Lynx and the and the uh, Timberwolves, yeah. and, and she's around some high level basketball. She's been to a, she she knows her stuff. And then she started working camps and and doing all kinds of things for us. And and she's a she's a great coach. I would not hire a female just to hire a female. I hired her for quality. The uh, article online on your website is tremendous about her. It makes you really appreciate more of what you talk about, um, kind of doing the little things without being noticed, and all of a sudden it's making a big difference. And uh, it's it's wonderful. I love it. Um, I, I, I'm more intrigued than anything because it clearly is a basketball mind in a different form as an athletic trainer. Uh, who happens to end up stepping up into into back into a role of coaching, and it's clearly made a difference. And uh, yeah. found it fascinating. So I, I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Uh, here yeah, we the... actually we actually get a double bonus out of that because <laughs> again, if you look at our schedule and the Mayak schedule, yeah. you know, we're playing three games a week, and the toll it takes on bodies. Yep. Uh, and to and to have a professional right next to you that uh, you know, not only working them out in our practices and drills, but knows their bodies, knows how they move, yeah. and, and can treat them or do the prehab necessary to keep them healthy. Uh, it's invaluable. Yeah, you're definitely getting a double down there. And, of course, she's a Bethel grad, too, so it, it, it adds to the adds to the story. It's a wonderful story, and I, and I, I love it. I, I hope we see more of it. Coach, I took a lot of your time. I really appreciate it. Really fascinating to see how the Royals are doing this season and obviously what is a fascinating Mayak race uh, there's one on the women's side, too, but the men's side is certainly worth taking notice of, and I appreciate you taking the time to join us. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Oh, great. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. Well, thank you, Coach. Uh, good luck the rest of the season. We'll look forward to keeping an eye on Bethel. Thanks. Uh, Doug Novak joining us here on Hoopsville on the City of Salem Hoopsville's hotline. We appreciate him taking the time. Uh, if you want to get an idea of Coach uh, Vestendahl's uh, road to the assistant coach job under Coach Novak, it's on Bethel's site. We'll try and find a, uh, get a link out for you. It's a great story. Uh, in the meantime, keep an eye on Bethel as well. As we mentioned, they are 11-4 and overall. Unfortunately, lost three of their last five, but I have a feeling that tide will change as they play five of their next six at home. Um, we'll keep an eye on them. Obviously, Hamlin and St. Olaf coming up immediately with Manchester St. Thomas uh, following suit after that. Going to take another break. When we come back, the Hoopsville Mailbag, if there are any questions, and we'll wrap up the show uh, with anything else we find pertinent. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court.
I'm a current Division III student athlete, and I remember how intimidating the first year of college can be. So if you're a first year student athlete and nervous about coming out as LGBTQ, I pledge to stand by your side as your ally. If you can play, you can play Division III. We are Division III student athletes, and you can be too. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show. It's been a full one. If you've uh, got any questions for us now or for future shows, email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Join us on Instagram. Ask questions there, at d3hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville. You can also do it on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash hoopsville, where we are streaming live. And we hope you can take advantage of that opportunity as well. Um, so far, great segments. Appreciate it. We do have a mailbag segment. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to uh, just point out the thank our guests who appeared on the show. I'm just going to double check scores. Really, nothing major happening tonight. Only one type team in men's or women's basketball action. And that game hasn't even started yet. It's number 21. Claremont Month scripts are taking on Chapman. Uh, but that doesn't start for another hour uh, on the uh, West Coast. Uh, otherwise, uh, nothing jumping out at me. Uh, you know, Southern Vermont, uh, 86-69. Obviously, we talked a lot about Southern Vermont last year. They're 6-9 and nine this season in a um, NECC. NECC being led by Becker right now, but it's a little off-center. They, Becker's like 5-0, and oh, and in second place is Leslie at 5-2. and two. <laughs> So uh, Southern Vermont is 4-2. So they're in the conference race, um, just not much, nothing much to talk about. Um, other games, really nothing jumping out at me as like, oh, wow. Um, we do have a game, looks like, in overtime. <laughs> I swear that says overtime 15. That's not possible. Um, but Emmanuel and Johnson and Wales are calling up the line. Uh, it says 15th overtime. I kid you not. Uh, I'm quite sure by looking at the score, it is not the 15th overtime. 55-50. Um, uh, it just isn't. Uh, don't know. Is <laughs> it literally says fifteenth overtime? Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say first overtime. Uh, but that is one of the crazier things I have seen. Uh, Emmanuel at Johnson and Wales. It appears they're in overtime, not the fifteenth, because otherwise they didn't score anything for fourteen overtimes. <laughs> I've seen some. That one's that one takes the cake. Um, nonetheless, otherwise, uh, nothing really score wise, uh, really jumping out at me. It's a quiet Thursday night here in division three. So let's take a look at the mailbag, shall we? Uh, got questions in. We appreciate those who sent those questions in to us. Um, let's see, let's call them up and we've got a few. So here we go. Remember to email us hoopsill at d3hoops.com. That's hoopsill at d3hoops.com to be part of of the segment. First questions from Dr. Stevens in Iowa says, I'm curious how winter illnesses, cold, flu, viruses, impact basketball teams during the season, especially when they travel. Well, as as 
just know it impacts them greatly. Heck, it's impacting me uh, as I've been suffering from a cold and I'm not even out there playing. But certainly illnesses uh, in division in, in for basketball teams, especially on the Division three level, are very prevalent. Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was last year or the year before. We had a was New Paltz or somebody up in the New York State got a serious illness that went through the school, uh, went through the team um, and had to postpone some games. Uh, that's more on the rare side. Um, it, it certainly happens, but just not all that often. Um, and you've also had illnesses on campuses like uh, that have shut down campuses or sinus went through something recently in that case. But travel, I mean, first off, you deal with those schools where maybe you have to travel. Or sinus's case was last year. Uh, traveling to our sinus campus was shut down, so games were postponed. Teams couldn't leave, couldn't teams couldn't arrive. Uh, you have teams um, that certainly. Uh, what was it? Um, oh, uh, New Jersey City uh, in the last couple of weeks has had not only injuries, but illnesses going through them, and I know it affected them. Uh, I would I would argue at least one of their losses was affected by illness. Um, it's not that uncommon and travel is certainly part of it. I, I know when we go out to Vegas, I always risk being in the dry air, especially in the, in the hotel room, uh, of starting a sinus cold myself. I'm not even an athlete, obviously, at least I not, not anymore. Uh, so you wonder if the players heading out there also have to deal with that dry air, um, and such. So it's a, it's a big impact and can affect uh, games dramatically with with wins and losses and and the like. Um, not that uncommon. Uh, I think sometimes the flu makes uh, a, a strong difference in, in the division and, and with teams. And sometimes it's much of a point. I think this year is one of those average years. You hear about it. Uh, coaches don't like to use it as an excuse, but you certainly notice it. Another question. This one's actually a two-parter from Eric in Minneapolis. First part, he says, as teams. Uh, enter the midway mark of their conference schedule and they begin to face the same team a second time around. How do teams adjust and put more weight in whoever wins the first of the, of, or the, I should say, wins the final of the two meetings? Team A loses the first matchup to Team B and then Team A defeats Team B. Uh, the second part of the question is, uh, there seems like, depending on the teams, more weight with a big conference win the second time around could help them have February conference tournament time. You know, I don't have an opinion on it. Um, as a top 25 voter, certainly the second win takes more prevalence or the second game takes more prevalence than the first one, especially if the first one was a November type of scenario. Um, I will take more stock in those games when they're later in January and when those rematches are closer together. For example, in the UAA, they they play that, or at least one of them does. I think everybody has that back-to-back weekend where, excuse me, my cold's acting up, uh, where they'll play Team X and Y, let's say, at home on a particular weekend, and then the following weekend we'll play X and Y on the road. Uh, same two teams. Uh, I believe that is coming up, not this weekend, but the following two weekends is when the UAA swaps like that. And in those cases, I tend to discount a little bit. I, I almost look at the whole picture of those instead of one game versus another because they're literally playing back-to-back. And I've seen splits as much as I've seen sweeps be pretty prevalent there. Um, sure, a game on February 10th or 15th compared to a game on January 2nd or December 10th 
I'm going to put more stock in that second game because the other difference too is teams have been playing longer. Uh, they've gotten used to each other. Maybe injuries are affecting things or aren't affecting things now. Um, you literally could have two different games, um, especially in conferences like the end Jack where transfers at midseason are pretty prevalent. You could literally have two different teams. So yeah, the second game certainly takes a little bit more stock. And as a top 25 voter, I think it takes more stock. Um, but sometimes flukes happen too. Uh, I don't know how much they impact that the conference tournament. Um, I would definitely agree that if you play late, late in the season, then go in the conference tournament and face that team again, the winning team the second time around is going to have a lot more confidence most likely. But if that game is in late January and the conference tournament's not till late February, I don't think it has a hill of beans of difference. Um, I just I, I put a little bit more stock in the more recent results of the two, but I'll look at and understand the dynamics going on. Um, but yeah, I could see how it if it, it has more of a kind of an impact into the into. But it depends on when that game is played. I, again, a January second time around, late January, I don't care about. I don't think it has a much effect in February. But that game being in late February, going into the conference tournament, I think has a much bigger effect. You, we talked uh, St. Lawrence uh, tonight. Remember, they lost five of their last eight games last season to, after having kind of a nice middle of the season run. They played uh, Skidmore as they will this year to finish the season, uh, and they will always do that. It's just the way the the conference schedule works. So they they're one game basically. Their travel partner is Skidmore. One game is is that final weekend. Um, they then played them less than a week later or a week later in the conference championship. I think that's where that impact absolutely has a, has a factor. Uh, absolutely. It could, it, could, it could be the opposite, too. If you beat a team rather easily, you might coast into a championship game and the other team might nip you. But for the most part, that impact is. Final question. Got this from Sheila in Boston. I was just catching up on the podcast and on the last show and appreciated the interview with Coach G.P. Gromacki. Thanks. Uh, do you think Amherst can finish the season undefeated? I don't see them getting tested the rest of the way. Well, they will get tested at least once um, as they've got this game coming up. Um, remember the NESCAC, they only play one round of games. Excuse me. So, um, yes, Wesleyan, Williams, and Amherst will play a second round of games that don't count, like Williams and, and Amherst, that second round is coming up. And then the three, um, I believe it's Bates, Bowden, and Colby, um, will play their second round of games, but that's just amongst themselves. The conference does not play a second round, Robin. So thus, Tufts and Amherst will not play each other more than once. And their first meeting and only meeting is February 4th. It is at Tufts. Um, that is, I think, their biggest challenge. That being said, I think Bowden this weekend for Amherst women is going to be a tough game. Um, Bowden is coming in at 12-2. and two. Uh, They are 2-1 and one in the conference, uh, half game back of, of Amherst. Um, Tufts is a half game up on Amherst 4-0, Amherst is 3-0, then it's Middlebury at 3-1, Bowden and Trinity at 2-1, and then Bates at 2-2, and Williams is 11-5, but 1-3 in the conference. Um, and by the way, Connecticut College is 10-5, 1-3 in the conference. I th The way Amherst is playing, I agree, it doesn't look like they have a lot of tests, but I think Bowden will be a little bit of a challenge. They have to be careful against Lehman. Not because Lehman's a tough team, but it's a non-conference game. You never know if they may just take a different approach, though, according to Coach Gromacki, they weren't. But Williams is after that Lehman game, two days later. I hate the 
comparison, but if there is one, that's the definition. Lehman's ahead of the rival game. Are they looking ahead to Williams and Lehman surprises them? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but those are the games that I myself will look at. Lehman's 9-7, and seven, by the way. Uh, after Williams, then it's um, three games later is Tufts and then Middle Hamilton, and they finish it out. So, sure, I can see why people may think Amherst doesn't have a lot of tests le Tufts, uh, tests left, but I think Bowden's going to be a test. I think um, Williams will be a test on January 25th, and Tufts, obviously the number one team, coming up on February 4th is going to be a test. Um, no, I would not be surprised if they come out of this undefeated at all. Uh, it's either them or Tufts coming out of this undefeated. Um, I would not be surprised if either one of them makes the NCAA tournament undefeated. It's impossible for both of them to make the NCAA tournament undefeated since they play each other and they're going to have to probably play each other in the conference championship. Have lost to keep that from happening. So neither of them is going to go undefeated into the conf into the NCAA tournament. Um, but I suspect there's a good chance one of them does. Um, and listen, I had a little birdie in my ear who said at the beginning of the season, watch for GP Gromacki's team. They're going to dominate. Uh, they're going to go undefeated, and they're going to march right towards a national championship. I don't doubt it. Gromacki's lost, what, 20 games in his entire tenure at, at, at 24 games in his entire tenure at Amherst? Um, they haven't lost more than four games a season? I don't doubt it. Um, see them with more than a loss going into the NCAA tournament. Uh, if it is two losses, it's both the Tufts, one in the regular season and one in the conference championship. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think they split with Tufts at worst for Amherst, at worst for Amherst. So, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's as easy as you think it is there, Sheila. Um, but I think um, it's going to be an interesting finish to the season for Amherst. Again, I think they got three. I think Bowden this weekend is a good barometer for many people to grasp how Amherst is. If they blow Bowden out, Amherst is much more for real than people realize. Then they've got that Williams game on the 25th, and then they've got that game on the 4th of February against Tufts. Those are the three games I'm looking at as an Amherst fan. Uh, I think that's going to do it, unless you got other questions. Again, the NCAA convention is taking place this weekend. We will watch the votes on Saturday morning. Nothing major that affects basketball, nothing major that really affects schedules. Uh, we, we do have that. Uh, really what I reasons I enjoy going to the convention is Friday and the business meetings kind of gives you a barometer of what may be coming down the pike. Um, and I'm curious as to how that plays out, but unfortunately not being there, we're either going to have to follow this on Twitter or follow some other things or, or talk with some people about what comes out of the business meeting on Friday morning, tomorrow morning, uh, to truly understand if things going to be impacted in basketball. I do know a couple things. For example, there has been talk about um, limiting the number of, uh, of exhibition, uh, essentially, or, or, or exemption games in Division Three basketball. Um, they have a lot if you really add them up. I know there's talk about maybe cutting that back. I'm curious in the next year if that's where that heads. There is a recruiting thing on the ballot, and there was another one on the ballot, though it's nothing major, um, but we'll keep an eye on it. But again, uh, the convention taking place, and we'll certainly keep an eye on how that all plays out. Um, we're going to take a uh, go off the air. We're going to come back on Sunday. A reminder, our fundraising efforts will start hopefully on Sunday with the official kickoff. We'll get our hopefully our ducks in a row by then to do that. Um, and then the marathon is in two weeks from now. We will go on the air at 10 a.m. that morning and stay on the air until at least 10 p.m. with plenty of guests. We are already working on that guest list uh, and we will make it 
full-throated effort on it in the next week uh, to get that settled. Uh, we will get that show link up on the site as well so you can keep track of, of some of the guests that we're getting. Um, if you got guest ideas or you want to hear from somebody, email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com, and we will certainly look into those guest ideas. Raising efforts help us basically maintain this show, for the lack of a better description. We'll talk plenty more about that down the road. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank our guests, of course, from Messiah, Mike Miller, um, women's basketball coach, and thank his SID, Steve King, for the help. Um, from St. Lawrence, I want to thank Chris Downs um, for coming on the show. I want to thank the entire SID staff, who was shorthanded up there, for helping us as well. Hanover's men's basketball coach, uh, John Miller, for coming on the show. Thank you very much. And uh, his SID, Tyler. And then Bethel's men's basketball coach, uh, for coming on the show. Great talking to Doug Novak. Fascinating story on his end. Not only about how he came to Division Three and Bethel, but why he has an assistant women's ba- or assistant coach who's a woman. I I love the fact that there's a woman on the staff. I, I don't see a problem with it. I'm certainly not trying to make a controversy or anything. Uh, but I want to uh, take light of it. I think it's a it's a great move, and I love the reason behind it. It's just so organic uh, and and terrific. Also, thanks to Jared and others in the sports information staff at um, Bethel for their assistance as well. Going to take a break. When we come, or not take a break, we're going to go off the air. When we come back on Sunday, remember we're talking primarily Northeast, um, excuse me, Northeast, uh, Atlantic, South, and regions, and the WBCA Center Court. I know we didn't have the NABC um, Coach's Corner tonight. We will work on getting one for Thursday. We have some ideas for down the road. We just need to... Needed a little bit more time, couldn't execute it this week. Though you could argue Coach Novak or Coach uh, Miller from uh, any of the men's coaches tonight were great NABC coaches corner types. All right, so that does it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. We're going to sign off. Thank you. Uh, if you got any questions for us, and don't forget about the Hoopsville mailbag, email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Follow us on Twitter, at d3hoopsville and hashtag hoopsville. Follow us on Instagram the same way, at d3hoopsville and hashtag hoopsville. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in there. Um, and hope you enjoyed the show. If you missed the show live, don't forget, or missed any parts of the show live, don't forget you can watch watch it on demand or listen to the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. And if you happen to be listening to the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, I hope it is a good experience for you. That's it for us. Thanks very much for tuning in. Again, thanks to D3Hoops.com. The WBCA and the NABC will be back on Sunday evening, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Good night, everybody.